We want to start this episode by acknowledging the Gadigal and the Wongal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this very podcast. We also pay our deep respect to Elders past, present and future, always was, always will be. This podcast may contain discussions about violence, drug use, and it's most definitely going to contain a lot of foul language. Hello. Oh, hi. Uh, welcome to Sorry He Sucks. Uh, it's another episode. Uh, I don't know where we're up to. Episode three, I believe. Of season four. Yep. Um, I don't know how many that is altogether. It's a, f- a fuckload. We're in the 20s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do maths. I refuse. How dare you even ask me to try. Okay, anyway, look, tonight we're doing something a little different. Yeah, we haven't done animators before. No, so we're working, you know, people love the art episodes. (laughs) Some people love the art episodes. Yeah, and thank you for those people who have made it known. Personally, they're my favourite. Bloody great. I'm currently actually listening to an audio book, which has just brought me right back to our Man Ray episode. Uh, it's called The Black Dahlia Avenger. What's, is it, it good? It's really good. Well, you know, it's by Steve Hodel, who is George Hodel's Is that on? Um, son. Is that on? It's on Audible. Ugh. We are not sponsored by them yet. I, we will <laughs> never accept money from them, thanks. Oh, yeah. Kara hates Bezos. I do. So that'll never happen. What no. if he says, I'll give you $5 million? Yeah, fine. We would not. totally do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's really interesting. And I know I talked about that book a bit in the episode, but this, but I was reading little pieces of it. Um, yeah. Whereas now listening to the whole thing, it's fucking pretty mind-blowing um, how it all came together and all the crazy shit, like, Whoa! I want to tell you everything, but what you should do is just like read it or listen to it. Yeah, let's it's great. We'll book club it up. Yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah. Oh, I love book clubs. Mm-hmm. Shout out to our old book club who love all moved away. That book club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, also before we start, yeah, uh, I've got to just keep on talking about the Patreon, and it makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. So we have one. If you want to give us money, do that. Otherwise, don't worry about it. That's it's totally, totally fine. fine. <laughs> totally matter. fine. You want to, like, but you could just shout us a drink. God knows we um, yeah. get through them on the episode. We sure do. Or, I mean, right now, we're instead of having proper mic stands, we've just put <laughs> mics on a stack of books. Uh, thankfully, I have a, a large array of books. <laughs> one so. of mine's called Women Who Kill. <laughs> uh what have I got? Um, good and Mad by Rebecca Traster. Oh, that sounds so good. So, you know, we're getting extra inspo by just using the books. We also wanted to ask if you guys can let us know oh, yeah. any 
fun interactions or any bad interactions you've had with like people we've spoken about or any people who are famous or, you know. We want the famous people stories. Yeah, we really want the stories. Um, because we think we, we've actually received a few and and they're so good. And so thank you so much to those people who Ugh. sent them. They, I was like, Amber sent through one particular one that I was just like, this is amazing. I can't wait. We're going to share them with you. Yeah, we want to... Obviously. Not stockpile a few and then we want to we want to share these stories. Um, yeah. So if you have any stories... Let us know and you can let us know on Instagram if that's easy for you. We have a Facebook page if you want to. Mm-hmm. We do have an email address, which I obviously don't remember. I'm pretty sure it's sorry he sucks pod at, at Gmail. Gmail. Yeah. Yep. So send it through and um, I can't wait. You, yeah, we, can, we really want to hear. You know, we can just like say your nickname. Like maybe you work for a record label and you don't want us to say that your personal story about what a cunt Josh Homme is. Like, I get that. You don't want to get in trouble. Totally. And just let us know as well. Like, if that's a thing, just tell just tell us in, in the story. Just be like... Do it. Okay. Don't Pe- tell... People hate the chatter at the beginning. <sighs> and I'm so sorry. Well, I think we're just going to get straight into it. I'm going first today. And um, now for the spoilers and triggers portion of the show. <laughs> um, um, yes. I'm going to be talking about an actual pedophile this week. Um, so I would just like to warn anyone straight off the bat to feel free to skip forward to Amber's half of the episode. You know, you can, it's probably going to be an hour. You know how we do. (laughs) And you'll hear um, our theme song by DJ Morks in the middle and that's where you can start afresh. I just, it's it's not a great time. So we're starting off heavy. Yeah, we're going to start off heavy but hopefully get lighter. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. I don't even know. I mean, know. it depends. Uh, this is pretty Depends dark. what really upsets you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think pedophiles probably really upset everyone. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you're probably, okay, great. You're going to win. Thanks. Why yeah. are we even doing this? Well, what is your trauma? <laughs> Pick your own adventure. <laughs> yeah. But um, let's all put, you know, um, child abuse at the top. Yeah, it's definitely... Can't think of many worse things. No. Okay, great. And on that note, um, so I have to say that personally I never really liked Ren and Stimpy. Like it never appealed to me and maybe it's because I'm a Steiner baby and it was just like I couldn't handle the violence or something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But um, having said that, I am doing John Kay who um, was born Michael John Crecfalusi. And he's the creator of the cult classic groundbreaking cartoon, Ren and Stimpy. Which was a staple mm-hmm. in my life. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll tell you about it later. So John was born in a place called Chikutami, which I probably likely uh, mispronounced, but I did my best and I read it, wrote it phonetically That's so here. nice. I gave it a really good, big go. Um, it's um, in the French-speaking province of Quebec, and we can thank Quebec for poutine, and we will, so thank you. Thank you. Um, his father was in the Royal Canadian Air Force, so John spent his early years in Germany and Belgium, and then the family headed home to the land of maple syrup, specifically Montreal, when he was seven. Mm-hmm. Um, a while later they moved to Ottawa. So there's like a lot of movement in his formative years, which I can imagine... It would be difficult, like, sure. a lot. I have no fucking idea because my parents still live in the house that I grew up in. 
So I moved once and it was pretty hard work. Yeah. Yeah, yours was a big move too. Yeah. You weren't New just, school. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm not asking anyone to play violins for me here, but <laughs> <laughs> it was traumatic. Um I did get a dog though. That was uh, pretty cool. That is cool. It's a good good consolation prize. Yeah. <laughs> um he watched loads of Hanna Barbera cartoons, which just makes me think of Hanna-Barbera land in Australia's Wonderland. Oh, my God. Do you remember that? Have we talked about Australia's Wonderland before? I think we have. I fucking miss that theme park so bad. Americans don't get it because they have so many. Yeah, it was atrocious. (laughs) But in Australia, like, we don't really have very many. I think um, the Gold Coast now is the only place where you, you have theme parks. And Luna Park, it's just a baby park. Yeah. So if you are American and you come here and you're like, let's go to Luna Park, you'll be like, what the fuck is this shit? (laughs) What is this joke? It's weird and boring. But Australia's Wonderland was the greatest place on earth. And I went there as a child. Yeah. I also went there as an adult. 100%. Took drugs. Loves it. Um, freaked out a little bit, then didn't go on any rides and just was the person who had to watch all the bags because I was like, I'm not fucking going on there, which is kind of how I've turned out as a human. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember they used to play in um, Hanna-Barbera land was like more of the younger children's area, mm-hmm. still a fun time. I'm pretty sure like the baby beastie, the smallest yeah. roller coaster which, was there. Which was the best roller coaster. Even though so it was fun. small, it was Mighty. Yeah. I loved it. I'm small and mighty. Yes. Um, but they played I, They played this song and it's actually in like an ad for it and it was like, together forever and never to part. And it was like very repetitive and annoying. And I also think they used to play like the Rickroll song in that yeah, area. Yeah, feels right. Yeah. Oh, God, I loved it so much. It was in the western suburbs that was like hot as fuck. Yeah. Like... Burning hot all day. Sorry to take up any more time with Wonderland, but do you remember how you go into like the wild, wild west part and then you were like (gasps) probably under the age of 10 and you dress up like a slutty western (laughs) like movie lady (laughs) in like a corset and get your photo taken in sepia tone? I never got that. (laughs) I have one. Yeah, look, that's cool. I wish I did. Can you please... Show it to me soon. Yeah, I'll fi- I'll get my well, you know, when I can see my parents again, then I'll I'll take a picture of it. It's fucking hilarious. Oh. It's so weird. Anyway, we I digress. We need to get back on track, which I'm oh, I obviously go back to Australia's Wonderland so bad. Okay, I know. I'm just strongly trying to avoid talking about the topic at hand. Just, just fair enough. Um, John was really inspired by the Hanna Barbera cartoons, um, and he started copying them, and he was trying to draw the characters. But um, sadly, his daddy did not approve and thought it was a big fat waste of time. So it's uh, not very nice, is no, it? No, that is not nice. He studied at Sheridan College in Ontario and this was like the uni. It was a uni to go to if you wanted to become like an illustrator or work in animation or film or engineering. Um, so John delved into archives when he studied there and became really inspired by Bob Clampett, who worked on Looney Tunes. Oh, yeah. And Tex Avery, who was like a big part of Bugs Bunny's creation and all those other characters, including the exhibitionist Porky Pig. Mm-hmm. 
Whenever I like, whenever I, I get into the shower in the morning, if I take my bottoms off first, <laughs> I feel like that dirty little sexual deviant porky. <laughs> I think about it all the time. That, maybe that's why I feel like top with no pants is so. It's wrong. Wrong. Yeah, it feels. It's fucking wrong. like. But I could walk around in underpants with no top. Until the end of time. Yeah, all day long. Give me that. <laughs> mm. So John <laughs> didn't actually last more than a semester at uni because he just pretty much wasn't going. So he was expelled. And then he hightailed it over the border and headed to LA and he took his girlfriend Lynn with him and this was where he was determined to forge his place in animation history. Okay. Which he did. Um, so John hustled and he got a job at Filmation, a production company that made animations including Tom and Jerry, which he worked on. Uh, he also worked for Hanna-Barbera, which you think would have been like his dream job. Yeah. Uh, given it was like the catalyst to him even wanting to his become an animator. Inspiration. Exactly. Um, but that wasn't the case and he described their work as the worst animation of all time. Ooh. Oh, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> um, that's rude. Yeah. He worked on The Jetsons, which I had a real soft spot oh, for. I loved that show. I loved it, but I'm not sure why. And in hindsight, it seems like quite heavily entrenched in the patriarchy, but I feel like I have to like rewatch mm. it. Yeah, probably. That's just the way I feel about literally everything ever. <laughs> um, then he started working on Mighty Mouse, uh, which was notoriously cancelled for what many perceived as Mighty Mouse snorting cocaine. Okay. But he was just sniffing like the petals on a flower <laughs> and everyone needs to calm the fuck down. Yeah. Then there was a show called Beanie and Cecil and then he formed Spumco with Jim Smith, Bob Camp and his girlfriend at the time, Lynn Naylor, mm-hmm. the one he moved there with. Yeah. Um, and this, my friend, is where Ren and Simpy came into existence. Fun. It was incredibly popular. It was on Nickelodeon. There were five seasons and a spin-off in 2003 that John called Ren and Stimpy's Adult Cartoon Party. And there's Ooh. apparently current talk of a reboot. Okay. I read somewhere anyway. Um, the show ran from 1991 to 1996 and was truly beloved. Yes. Uh, as a child of the 90s, well, not a child, a teenager of the 90s, I we loved it. Well, you weren't alone. It's cult classic. Yeah. John was fired from Nickelodeon in 1992, but I'll talk a bit more about that later. Um, he continued to work on online projects. Notable mentions would be Rice Patooties. Oh. I think I just like that name. I don't I, think it's I notable. Do. I don't know anything about it, but I love it. A George Licker Christmas. And who could forget Weekend Pussy Hunt? Oh. Uh, he worked on The Simpsons twice. He made music videos for Bjork. Cool. What one? I don't know. I'm going to check, actually. Tenacious D. Yes. Weird Al. Of course. And he did the video clip for Harlem Shuffle by the Rolling Stones. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. R.I.P. Charlie, you were the best goddamn stone. Mm-hmm. Amber Duke, can you say Rolling Stone in the accent? Rolling Stones. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Mate, he was the sweetest and he wouldn't have said it like that. No. He, I think he had a posh 
accent. I could be wrong. They were posh boys. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. If you want to listen to that, I'm pretty sure it's season <laughs> two, episode eight. <laughs> um, in the 2020, sorry, documentary Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, The Ren and Stimpy Story, John says he's officially retired from animation but not by his own choosing. Um, again, we'll get to it. Um, there was this bit in that documentary and Jack Black says, you can feel the throbbing energy behind the art. Disgusting, hilarious and uh, sexual, which I think just like is spot on. Okay, yeah, it is. I don't know if I get the sexual from Ren and Stimpy. It's pretty disgusting. I know, but it's like the throbbing part of it. Oh, Everything absolutely. is always throbbing in that bloody Everything country. is throbbing <laughs> and it's so, so disgusting. It really is foul. Um, and then that's all I've got for bio, really. So goddess of mountains and sea, hilarious enchantress of my soul, why do you, I just, why do you like him? Because I just don't even want to put love anywhere near this. Ugh. Okay. Well. Oh, and it was miss you. That was the, oh, I, don't I know miss that. you. I don't know that one. By Bjork. Okay. Don't know. Let's have to watch it. Yeah, we'll watch it later. I don't know if I want to actually. Oh. Uh, look. Okay. So, as I said, child slash teenager of the 90s, uh, me and my friends would get drunk and then in the morning would have a hangover. Yes. And then we would... Usually, like, smoke a bit of weed or something. Yeah, take the edge off. Uh, or we wouldn't <laughs> and just feel sick, but we would always watch Ren Stimpy at my friend Mel's place in the morning after mm-hmm. having a bit of a party time. Mm-hmm. And I can even, like, we loved it. It's so ridiculous. Like, I think at the time we just couldn't believe that this was on television because <laughs> it's so revolting. I know. And it was really funny and we would quote it all the time. Steamed. But, and, you know, I do remember one time being quite hungover and there was like, I think there was an episode where Ren was allergic to Stimpy's fur Mm -hmm. and he at some point starts like licking it. Ew. <laughs> and it was so rank that I threw up. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literal chunder. Lit chunders. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I just Lit chunders. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a part of my life and um I've always held a little soft spot for it, for making me throw up and for just being uh, an iconic 90s thing, you know. Okay, I think this is really going to destroy it for you. Good. Okay. So just, you know, for the people up the back, (laughs) this is where things are about to get dark. So feel free to skip. Feel free to stay. Feel free to face it. You don't have to. I don't want to. I got my first vaccination when I was researching this. It was so bad 
because what do you I was mean? I was like I came home from the vaccination and then I went on like an hour and a half walk, walk with like beautiful Steph and then um and I was like I'm gonna like pump it through my veins so it spreads out Good and idea. then like the next day and I I no, and in the afternoon I watched the documentary and I was just like oh my god and I just felt like so emotional look. I don't know what you're going to tell me. Oh, yeah, okay, the story. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, so we'll begin with the fact that he was horrendous to work with. Okay. We'll start light. Okay, great. Um, he was abusive to his co-workers. That's according to them. He frequently screamed at, the, screamed at them like publicly, openly in the office, but also yeah. behind closed doors. He had like incredibly high standards and the pressure he put on those he worked with was immense. Yeah. In the documentary, Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, The Ren and Stimpy Story, which I got a lot of information from, John self-identifies as Ren, who he says is the asshole. Yes. 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 And so he, he actually also did the voice for that character. Oh, okay. Fun fact. Um, now I can never say steam. <laughs> no. Uh, John didn't like to follow a script. Script-driven shows were not his bags. So as a result, he liked to make sure that the people around him knew they weren't great, particularly the writers. Oh. Um. One of whom, his name is Will McRobb, said he felt like it was important for him to convey my uselessness. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, John's colleague said he wouldn't sleep. He was a complete perfectionist and he would go through all their work analysing and criticising what they'd created constantly and then after he was done, he would punish the artist throwing away their work and... Why even have them then? You do everything, you I mean, piece of shit. Something that I didn't really write here is that it, it was like this totally different time. You've got to think about people are like literally drawing everything, you know, like and trying to get – can you imagine the work that would have gone into like creating a cartoon like frame by frame? It's just like bananas yeah. nowadays to think pre-computer age sort of thing or like very early computer age. Yeah. One person described him as like a Hitler type. Um, I mean, people throw that around. Yeah. This same person said they tried to quit and said to John, this kind of criticism doesn't make me better, it makes me hate you. <laughs> and then, and I've been in situations like that. Totally. It's like you're not pushing me to be better. Oh, man. I'm really just resenting your it's, existence. It's true. It makes you just... Give up. Totally. And I think also it's, I mean, it's a very case-by-case individual kind of situation for each person. Some people do thrive off that kind of harsh criticism, but not for an extent. It's not, Mm. it's sustainable by any means. No. Anyway, he would be like, no, stay, it's fine. Anyway, Vanessa Coffey or Kofi, who was an executive at Nickelodeon. Kofefe. (laughs) Kofefe. I believe, it, like, this time she was the vice president of animation, I think, okay. if my timeline is correct. Um, and in the documentary she said, he called me to give feedback on my notes I was giving him. Oh. He said I could go fuck myself, that he wasn't going to take notes anymore, that he made the network and he was the star. Mm. It's so weird to think that Nickelodeon was, like... <sighs> Well, they were very powerful. Like that was that was like their time. Yeah. Like um, Nickelodeon. Was it like Rug Rugrats, Rugrats and yeah. 
Um, I feel like there's another big one from that time, but I can't remember. Alice, Alex Max. Did you ever watch Alex Max? I'm no. pretty sure that was Nickelodeon, but it's just so funny because I think of it as, as like quite, I don't know, it's quite a violent show yeah. and then just sure. to have it on Nickelodeon seems weird. It's so, so violent, but... um. It was like what they parodied Simpsons things from, you yeah, know, with um, Itchy and Scratchy. It's like that insane, absolutely, yeah, violent yeah, yeah. shit. Um, John then decided to make the cowboy move to no longer adhere to deadlines or budgets, um, and he was eventually fired. <laughs> I wonder why. I know. After which, Vanessa received a lot of death threats. So, like, oh yuck! Relax, guys. It's a fucking cartoon. Let's be like, I wonder who did that. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, he truly believed that he had made everyone around him who they were and provided them with all of their successes. When in actual fact, he pitched an entirely different show to Nickelodeon initially, like with a whole bunch of characters. Um, Nickelodeon were the ones who identified that Ren and Stimpy and their friendship was like a viable kind of... Opposites. Yeah, and they thought that's going to be a successful show. So it's really them who identified that and made it what it was. Yeah, because those kind of people know what they're doing in terms of producing a show. Yeah. Um, They have the experience. They know what's going to be successful. Sure, an artist has a vision and can come up with the characters, but it's not until... It's it's like in everything. You can write an amazing book, but every single author will tell you that it was never as good as after an editor looked at exactly. it and fucking pulled all the good bits out and I don't think I explained it to that, you. I, would, I think I would really struggle with someone like really tearing my work apart. Um, the writers on the show speak about the shit that John has like smeared on the legacy of Ren and Stimpy, which we'll get into more. Um, but it made me think a lot about Morrissey. Yeah, right. And these shows or like music or writing that's created, a lot of the time there's like a boatload of people who contribute to their creation. You know, it's like all of these different people who make that happen and the revolting actions of one person tarnishes all their work and and their dedication and their energy and it's just so maddening to me. It's absolutely awful. And it's out of people's hands. Now that's done, let's head into the dark shit. No, um, I don't want to. Okay, let's. Oh, man, I just want to say, like when I was rereading over this, like I'm sorry. I'm scared. Um, okay, Robin Bird was 13 when she sent John a letter and a video of herself discussing her drawings. John was 39. Uh, She really wanted to become an animator and she idolised his work. And so John responded to her and she was this big fan and she was just like super fucking shocked that she even received a response from him. Um, And then they communicated over AOL. Oh, no. And and he said he was smitten. Oh, God. It gets a fuckload worse. Um, She looks really fucking young. You know, like, I think. She is really. Well, she is. But, you know, sometimes I feel like now. Oh, totally. You know, with social media and everything, some teenagers just look way older than they are. I mean, I always looked, I felt like I looked 
my age or a bit younger because I'm like a, a small unit. But <laughs> she looks so young. She looks young, younger than 13. There's also there's something bizarre. There's like a commonly used picture of John with Robin and he's wearing a T-shirt that says, Museum of Contemporary Art Sydney. Mm. Isn't that so weird that he's got merch from a museum from where we from, live? Yeah, that is upsetting. Actually. Very. Uh, so he flies and he meets Robin in Tucson, Arizona for a visit. That's where she lives. Um, and then when she was in year 11, so she's still in fucking high school, he flew Robin to LA and he molests her. I wrote what, what he did and I'm not, I just don't want to say it. So she froze at the time um, and she was 16. So she just froze. She didn't, I, she didn't, she's a fucking child. She's a child and she was meeting her hero. Yeah. Thinking um, something amazing was happening but something absolutely fucking horrible happened. Yeah. I just don't, I have written it but I don't want to read it. I've decided mm. against it. Um. Uh. So then when Robin was 17, she interned at, interned at Spumco, his studio, mm-hmm. um, and she moved in with John. Mm. So he must have been um, 42 at this point, I think, and she's 17. Uh, He's been grooming her since she was 13. 13. He took explicit photos of Robin um, and he showed them to his colleagues, which makes me really fucking sick and irate. It makes me like white hot rage Um, because people were clearly across this shit. Like they knew but no one did a fucking thing. What the fucking fuck? I know. Um, He also showed one of the artists at Spumco um, who like basically all the artists there were like young men in their early 20s. That's who he was surrounding himself with. Mm. Um, and he showed him a drawing he made of Robin. So in the drawing, she's naked and a dog is coming on her. What the fuck? Yeah, so that's just great. Um, it was like an open fucking secret, you know? And uh, in a 2018 oh BuzzFeed article by Ariane Lang, which I got a lot of information from, titled The Disturbing Secret Behind an Iconic Cartoon, Underage Sexual Abuse, there's a quote from when John was on the Howard Stern show and and then Stern says about one of John's characters that they're a hot chick with big cans and nice legs and then John says she's underage too. Mm. That's a national fucking radio show and it has like 35 million subscribers. Mm. Anyone? Any Anyone? No, everyone's like, oh, hilarious, hot. Girls are young. Ugh. Uh, Slash young girls are hot. Whatever. I, I'm sorry I said that weird, but uh, anyway, you know I what got I it. mean. I did. <laughs> John, John admits that their relationship was a bad decision and she was too young, and he says that in the documentary, but immediately follows that sentiment up with, but she was so convincing. She was convincing? Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> convincing what? It makes my fucking skin crawl, exactly. Oh what is she convincing God. of, exactly? Oh, I, I am all red in the face. I'm so mad. 
He says he would apologise and ask for forgiveness, but he always had Robin's best interests at oh, heart. I'm sure he did. What he a didn't, fucking load yeah. of bullshit. He said he didn't realise how affected she was. By what? <gasps> Him, what? Mm. So um, Robin says that her adolescence were like owned by him. He controlled her life. She was isolated. She was sad. And I mean, like, we already mentioned this a bit, but she was far too fucking young to be able to negotiate a situation like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, With an incredibly powerful person. In an industry that she so desperately wanted to be a part of and that successful is in. Absolutely revolting. It is. I fucking hate him. Yeah. And I'm afraid it's going to get worse, kids. No, 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 no. (laughs) He's so fucking creepy to me. Like watching him in his interviews, he's creepy. I don't even know what he looks like. Well, don't. But, yeah, in the documentary specifically. I think when he was younger he was kind of handsome, like in pictures and things. But then when the documentary and you see his, like, body language and stuff. Oh, yeah, that changes everything. It does. I need more wine. Good. We all do. <laughs> that was a good pull. Oh, good pull. What a big one. Um, I mean, like, I think he clearly had a very, like, abusive nature and a God complex that came across with his co-workers and with his working life. Sure. Um, when he's discussing Robin, it makes me, like, incredibly uncomfortable when I watch that. Um. Does he seem uh, mad at her? No, he's very, he's kind of like awkward and a bit like shifty, like not making eye contact or like he. Like he's had a bit of media training, like don't fucking say this. Maybe. He also is just a weird guy. Mm. He's just off-puttingly, he's quite weird. Um, (sighs) Robin eventually left. Uh, Her dreams of being in animation she believed were over, but they weren't because this is one of those rare occurrences where some fucking cunt abuser didn't stop the person they abused from pursuing their dream. Fuck yeah, go Robin. Yes, so Robin had amazing potential that wasn't hindered or stunted. I mean, like, in a sense, I guess it was hinted because God knows what she would have done if she didn't go through that. It could have been way bigger, you know, but she's a successful animator but, yeah, she wasn't stunted by a man in power who took a complete fucking advantage. So fuck you, John. Yeah. Fuck you. Robin was quoted in, um, I can't remember, this is either a New York Times or a BuzzFeed article. Um, but all of the, we obviously cite all of our sources. Um, On the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was quoting and saying something, which is pretty pertinent to this whole little operation we've got going here. She said, I know a lot of people struggle with the art versus artist thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get it. Like, I love Rosemary's Baby, but would I watch another movie that he made knowing what I know? I would say no. I don't want to watch it. I don't want any part of that. There's nice people you can hire. There's nice people who can make things. There's nice people who make cartoons. They're just as fucking good. It's fucking true. Yeah, she's right. Fuck that. Nothing is worse a fucking Woody Allen movie anymore. I don't think so. No, I agree. Fuck it. 
No, and and I I do acknowledge that there was so many people like say before maybe we knew everything we know, so many artists that were involved in those productions. And this is what I was saying before, it's really upsetting because these things aren't created by one individual, but that no. one individual fucks everything up. Yeah. And then now I don't want to I don't want to go near it. Yeah. And it's I don't know. It's a big conversation. It's a big one. conversation that we're having in this very podcast uh, and every other episode. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally, literally four seasons. <laughs> the uh, exact point yeah. of what we're doing. It's hard. Um, <sighs> but that is a great uh, surmise mm. of exactly yeah. what I I know. I when I read it, I was like, Robin, <laughs> girl. Um Okay, so then there's Katie. Mm. So Katie Rice was 14 when she also wrote John a letter and they um, spoke to one another for a while and he was also grooming her. Uh, Katie said they weren't physical, but he did masturbate when speaking to her (gasps) on the phone. Lovely. Oh, my God. He used to say, oh, God, do I want to say this? Repeat after me. John's dick slides in my pussy. What? With a Z. Yeah, that's what he would say on the phone. Oh, my God. She was 15, he was 41. That is fucked up. I know. In, it makes me sick of him. Oh. Uh, in 1997, he ceased communication with Katie, seemingly because Robin had moved into his house that year. Yeah, you can't have two underage women that no. you're sexually abusing at the same time. Yeah, he was dual grooming. Who knows? Maybe there's more than two. Probably. <laughs> I mean, chances are. Um, then he got in touch with Katie again in 2000 with a job offer to work at the studio. So actual fucking dream job. Um and great timing because Robin was just about to leave John. Ugh. Foul. I should mention that John actually introduced Robin and Katie and they had like a brief crossover working at the studio and Robin was, this is so sad, Robin was sure she was being replaced by a new girl, a younger girl, which is fucking wild because she was still a teenager. Oh, my God. Like how deeply rooted is that whole idea like I'm being replaced by someone young and new do you think guys think that ever? <laughs> Men think that? Yes. Do you think they think I'm being replaced by someone? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. I just mean like she's a teenager and she's already got that whole trope in her mind like, oh, yeah. oh there's something younger and, and tighter and thinner. Oh, and <laughs> no. Anyway, um, in a New York Times article written by Jonah Engel Bromwich and Liam Stack, Robbins said he pitted us against each other and we hated each other. Mm. I just fucking hate this fucking oh, it's so binge awful. juice man. He's the worst. <laughs> there was another part of the article that I loved because eventually Robin said to Katie, we have to do this. Get your courage up. We're just going to hold hands and jump off the cliff together. <laughs> and I just really, I just think it's so fucking brave that mm-hmm. they did this. And so Katie worked uh, at Spunko from the age of 18 to 25 She said in the BuzzFeed article that John had persistently sexually harassed her. John asked Katie if he made her tingle, so that's fucking revolting. Um, He also did the old Ryan Adams classic, season three, episode three, um, of just surprise, like, dick out when you least expect it. 
Yuck. Um, I know. Katie and Robin reconnected in 2008 and the article quoted Katie saying to Robin that John would sometimes be walking around with his wiener hanging out of his pants telling me that his friend's advice to get me, to get me, like Mm. to bone me, was to just rape me one day. So I don't know if I have to say this again, but rape jokes aren't funny. Um, And maybe if people who make jokes or think jokes about rape are funny, maybe if they had been raped, they might have a different point of view and maybe even a better sense of humour, frankly. (laughs) like um, Yeah, I don't see how that's funny in any fucking... No, and John's attorney also said the rape comment was just a joke. Go fuck yourself. That's weird. What? I know. Um, Katie said she found... Child pornography on John's computer and so did another girlfriend who we don't know because she wanted to maintain her anonymity but they said um, that some of the children in the images were they're mostly under 10 years old. Um, his attorney denies John possessed any child porn but he, it, he framed it, I don't have a quote, but he framed it in a way that he wasn't like necessarily denying the images but more of the way that the women were saying the images looked. Do you know what I mean? Like he wasn't saying they don't exist. He was saying but they're being like misconstrued. Oh, they were just like pictures of children. Oh, yeah. Ew, what the fuck? I know. Um, But guess what? He's never been charged. (laughs) I can't believe that. I know. So Katie went to the police knowing that the abuse that she had suffered wouldn't result in any charge being laid because of the fucking statute of limitations, yeah. enraging. Um, they have to get rid of that. They need to get rid of it. They have to. It's got to go. I'm voting it off the island. Bye-bye. What? I don't know how that is a thing mm. when it comes to the most serious crime. I know. Of all. I know. It's absurd. It's worse than murder maybe in my opinion. Well, Yeah. It's the worst fucking thing. How? What what can I do? So she couldn't get any charges laid on him for what she went through, but she thought maybe if she went and told him about this child porn she'd found, pornography, that that would warrant some kind of an investigation or charges. Yes. Um, And the police said they wouldn't be able to get a warrant, according to Katie. That's what she said. She said they just said, we're not going to be able to get a warrant. And there wasn't try harder. Yeah, there wasn't a lot about this interaction with the police that I could find. Um, but can law enforcement please take women seriously? Yeah, like it's a real fucking problem. I am a very privileged white woman, and I have had so many bad interactions with police, which says a lot. Yeah. Ugh. I guess what's even more gross is a police officer having a woman. A grown woman, probably, I assume, yeah. going to them and saying, hi, when I was 13 I met this man and he groomed me, sexually assaulted me, controlled my life until I left him at, I don't know, what was she, 18? Yeah. Was it 19, 18, whatever, um, still a teenager. Um, I know that you can't do anything about that but he had child porn uh, he did it to another girl 
at the same time that I was with him, he's probably still doing it. Maybe you should do something. Mm. And them saying... We can't get a warrant. Oh, sorry. Can't get a warrant on that information. Yeah. I mean, how? just... Ugh, I what are they imagine. saying? That she's a, a scorned woman or... I like, don't know. That is disgusting. Yeah. It's so disappointing. I just can't imagine, <sighs> you know, the courage that it would take to go do that initially and then to have your response just be, just, just, like... I don't know, your heart would just sink to your feet mm. because you're trying to do what needs to be done to hopefully stop this from happening and potentially hold this man accountable for his fucked actions. He, oh, God. <sighs> it's so disgusting. Um, just generally, not about uh, the child pornography but about... Katie and about Robin, John has apologised for his actions. Oh, thank you, you infected scrotum. Oh. Thanks so much. Thank you. Oh, that's so great. Um, and when I say apologised, he more blames ADHD, poor impulse control and bipolar. Fuck you, John, because that is so fucking damaging to people who deal with these conditions and don't do fucking horrible, deplorable things. Yeah, and don't even think about those fucking things. How fucking dare you? That is rank. He's such a fucking piece of COVID-infested sewage. I hate him. Yeah. This yeah. is a horrifying episode. I know. I'm sorry, guys. But in the Ariane Lang um, article I mentioned before... Um, she quotes John's lawyer who said, the 1990s were a time of mental and emotional fragility for Mr. Craig Falusi, especially after losing Ren and Stimpy. Oh, um, his most prized creation. For a brief time, 25 years ago, he had a 16-year-old girlfriend. Over the years, John struggled with what were eventually diagnosed mental illnesses That's in 2008. no. Sorry, no, 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 no. You're no, conflating no. a lot of things here. That's not um, how the mental illness works. No, to that point, for nearly three decades, he had relied primarily on alcohol to self-medicate. Also, not a mm -mm. reason. Uh, since that time, he has worked feverishly on his mental health issues and has been successful in stabilizing his life over the last decade. This achievement has allowed John the opportunity to grow and mature in ways he'd never had a chance at before. Couldn't do it when he's 40. No, please go fuck yourself, mate. Oh what my. the fuck? <laughs> that lawyer is so fucking gross. Um, what? I, I know. I want to say that, um, that the instances with Robin and Katie, they're not allegations. Like these women have proof, they have like conversations, yeah, messages, all the things to prove. They have receipts. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this happened, and these women who were then girls were groomed. They were not old enough to consent in this situation. He was their fucking idol. Ah. Um. Yeah, and like I mentioned before, John said, uh, in the, this is a quote, I've officially retired, not exactly by choice. No shit. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, I hope he's in pain and I hope he dies. Me too. What the fuck? I'm going to assume that I don't even need to ask. No, you don't. <laughs> we don't need to have that conversation. 
I am so sorry that I decided that we had to have an animators episode <laughs> because I loved Ryan and Stimpy and had some vague recollection that he'd done a bad thing. I am really sorry. I'm sorry to you, Kara, most of all, but I'm also incredibly sorry to everyone who's listening. <laughs> that was fucking horrible. I know. Now do you understand like when I got my vaccination and I was writing it and I was, I think I was like messaging you being like, this is some dark shit. (laughs) I think we're going to need an extra long break before I do mine. Yeah. Um, Because uh, mine is less horrible. We're going to shift some gears. Still horrible, but uh, not this horrible. Yeah. I'm sorry guys, but you know, like. Sometimes we have really shitty people and sometimes we have really great people like yeah. Keanu or David Lynch was great, you know, yeah. like they're Sometimes it turns around. It's, fucking, it's a roller coaster <laughs> ride, you know? And we're just riding it like the bush beastie. Shitty at Wonderland. Oh. <laughs> shitty men take many forms. Is it a bush beast or is it a <laughs> Space Probe 7? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. We're having a break. Okay, we're back. I've danced. I've sung some country and western songs. Yeah, we had to have a little bit of a bigger break. Like afterwards, Amber's like, I need to listen to some music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, I'm going to start. Kick it off. So I'm doing the one and the only Walt Disney. Mm. Pretty iconic, pretty big. Big guy. We could get sued mm. and people will never hear from us again just because he's got there's so much money. But, I mean, he's dead, so maybe no one cares. I don't know. We'll cross that bridge on <laughs> <laughs> I got heaps of info for this from... Um, a documentary on Amazon Prime, Don't Kill Me, Cara, mm-hmm. uh, called American Experience, Walt Disney. And it was a really great doco, heaps long. I think it was like six hours long. Jesus. Split into two parts, but really, really amazing. Uh, hopefully this won't be a repeat of like the Anthony Kiedis style in-depth reporting <laughs> <laughs> of episode one of this season. But look... There's a lot to say. Okay. I imagine. (laughs) Okay. So picture this. It's 1901. Mm -hmm. Chicago, Illinois. Illinois again. Mm. Uh, But this time it's not the 80s John Hughes, Illinois. It's uh, 1901. We've got Teddy Roosevelt. We've got the temperance movement, which is just boring people who hate drinking. Boring, boring, boring. Uh, We've got people mostly dying of TB, malaria, pneumonia, influenza. Uh, And on the 5th of December of that year, Walter Elias Disney was born. And with a vote, not a war, six separate colonies came together to make a nation here oh. in Australia. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Just I, another I, fun 1901 fact. <laughs> like a lot was going on there. What a time to be mm. alive. What a time to be born. <laughs> Fuck. What a nightmare. What lucky folks we are. Whatever. 
Walt was the fourth born son of Elias and Flora. Great name. Shout out to uh, Flora, one of our listeners. Flora, you beautiful goddamn <laughs> angel. Uh, and they had one more child after Walt, a girl named Ruth. Mm. Uh, so there were five children, which is quite a few. They were Irish, but not Catholic. Okay. Uh, Curveball. They were Congregationalist Christians. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It sounds culty, but also yeah. like pretty like regular mainstream Christian, maybe. Sounds a bit like put your hands in the hair, like <laughs> put your hands in my hair, please. <laughs> put your Touch hands me. in the air, like you just don't care. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Also, could you put your hands in my hair later? Because yes. I love little hair touching. Yeah, I'm gonna do a little scratch, a scratch on the scalpy, scalpy. <laughs> This is how we spend our Saturdays. <laughs> Woo! After we podcast, Cara tickles my arm and scratches me on <laughs> uh, my scalp. I do. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, so part of that congregationalist Christian stuff was Elias, Walt's dad, uh, was super strict. Uh, he was all like, no booze, no smoking, no, quote, Trivial endeavors. Snore. Yeah, pretty boring. Uh, he was also actively against giving children gifts mm. unless it was a copy of the Bible. So he sounds like a real hoot. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that is so mean. Just like every Christmas and birthday. Oh, look. Another Bible. <laughs> or it would be like, you don't get a gift this year because your Bible's fine. Jeez. Ew. Uh, Can you imagine, like, I complained about getting a hair straightener? I complained. That you was spoiled little <laughs> bitch. You called me a brat when I last said that and I liked it. And I will continue to Stand eat by it. it. I, I will forever. <laughs> Look, they were very much working class uh, hmm. You know, that could also be a... They were poor, you know. I mean, working class people aren't always poor, but no. they're, they're not rich. Um, Elias moved his family around a lot and basically exploited his children with child labour. Classic. Uh, when they had a farm in Marceline, Missouri, the kids all had to work on the farm and when they were in Kansas City... Elias had bought a delivery run and Walt and his brother Roy had to get up at 4.30 in the morning and deliver newspapers and then do it again after school with the evening edition. Mm. Um, and the children, didn't, didn't they didn't get their own, like, pay for this work. It was just like everybody works and that's how the family eats. No fun, God says. No fun. Oh God, such a bore. It's pretty sad. I mean... Maybe we're all just incredibly spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, why? I maybe should never complain about anything ever again. Uh, but look, through all this, he still managed to develop his interest in art and drawing. The family moved back to Chicago while Walt was in high school. And Elias had bought shares in a jelly factory, which sounds way too fun mm. for him. Um, I can see him like, yeah, I don't know, buying something really boring like, I don't know, a brown sock factory or something. Yes. Nothing colourful or happy. 
certainly not wiggly, jiggly jelly. I haven't had jelly in so long. It's delicious. It's so not it's Elias science. Disney. Like it's the opposite yeah. of Wildstad. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so what was like, uh, look, sorry, uh, I'm joining the army. I have to get away from you. Despite <laughs> the fun jelly factory, I don't want anything to do with this shit. You're an emotional vampire. <laughs> Uh, he didn't say that. Um, <laughs> I'm I, paraphrasing. I'm just <laughs> paraphrasing what I assume he would have said. But he did try to join the army, um, but he was too young and he ended up forging a birth certificate. Classic, yeah. Um, and he joined the Red Cross and was stationed in France driving ambulances, which is fucking rad. Shout mm. out to our Ambo friends. Tito! And Tom. Tom! Tom. And like... Also, uh, ambulance people who we don't know. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other few that we don't know. Besides, Shout out to you. Besides Tito Tom and, and Tito. Tom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we love you both to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Anyway, when he came back uh, from the war uh, in 1920, he got uh, work as an apprentice artist at a commercial art studio. Mm -hmm. And then he really got into animation. He started a company. Okay. Because he was like, no one's doing animation. It's 1920. This is... Let's get this show on the road. I'm an innovator. Uh, and they would make these short animations that were played before movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were based on modernised fairy tales, like, for their time. <laughs> Obviously not the modernised fairy tales we have today. Okay. About, um, I don't know, gay mums or, you know, I don't know, what are some? Uh, but they, but Waltz were called laughograms, so modern for, like, 1920-something. The success of these prompted him to take on more animators and then he had this idea where he, you know, wanted to combine live action film and animation. Okay. And he started work on this thing which he called Alice's Wonderland. Loves it. And they are pretty bloody advanced considering that, like, at the time, movies didn't even have talking Mm. or whatever. Like, it was still silent film. And here was Walt chopping up cells uh, with film, mushing them together, making it look fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Totally ahead of his time for sure. He managed to get a deal for Alice's Wonderland and he and his brother Roy started a new company and this time they called it Disney Brothers Studio. Oh. um, Which was later changed to the Walt Disney Company because Roy was like, I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You take the credit and I'll take money and do work. It's fine. Um, and then they moved the operation to Hollywood. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So sometime in the early months of 1925, Walt hired an ink artist named Lillian Bounds. Cool name. Uh, and they fell in love. They got married later that year and they had a daughter, Diane, in 1933. Uh, and then a few years later, they adopted another daughter called Sharon. And it seemed like they had Shazza. a... Shaz. Shaz and Dee. 
it seems like they had a pretty happy family life. Like he just really didn't want his kids to have anything like the childhood that he'd had. Um, so they spent a lot of time laughing and playing and he openly said to people that he wanted to spoil his children, which is really nice. Yeah. So at work he'd been working on uh, this character with his mate, Oob Iwerks, uh, the character was called Mortimer Mouse. Mm-hmm. And Lillian, his wife, was like, Mortimer? <laughs> that is a shit name. Yeah. Uh, make him more of a man of the people. Call him Mickey. So Oob worked with... Lillian. Dis- Lillian. The women know everything. Bef- behind every great man. Yes. Is a better woman. <laughs> is a heap smarter, more competent woman. <laughs> mm. Do I need to talk about the linen closet thing? No, I'm no. joking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Oob worked with Disney's original sketches and made the mouse look super rad. Walt voiced him. Oh. Um, and did he actually did so until 1947. Uh Mickey appeared in a few little shorts briefly, and then in 1928 they debuted Steamboat Willie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mickey was the star of that animation, and it was one of the very first cartoons that had synchronized sound. Okay, so before it would just be like stuff is happening, and it, the music would just be like, yeah, yeah. But this time, you know, when you pulled the doot doot, yes. You know what? I've explained it perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) They kept going like on that theme and next made Skeleton Dance, which um, Oob drew and animated entirely and it was this really fucking cool avant-garde situation. I fucking love it. Mm. Um, If you're at all interested in early animation or if you're interested in like surrealism and shit you should um google the skeleton dance cartoon because it's fucking rad and no one had done anything like that before like it was sort of like trees that had faces and were dancing to music and it was kind of trippy and amazing especially for that fucking time like are there so like cool. trees with faces in fantasia Yes. Well, a lot of that vibe carried on later. Okay. Um, But they were like, and then really cool skeleton stuff that was, I guess, creepy, but like not at all scary. Just fucking rad. Beautiful. Working with the music, uh, working with um, the rad animations. So because Walt Disney Studios were the only studio doing these types of animations with the synchronised sound, they were super popular and the demand was really high and by the end of 1933 he had more than 200 staff, which is a pretty big company Yeah, for a place that, you know, makes 30-second animations. Yeah. Um, and it was then that he decided that it was time to work on a big-ass fucking feature. Let's fucking Film. do it. <laughs> <laughs> Shorts were boring, but they were also less profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so the studio started their four-year-long project of making Snow White. My heart. My heart. 
Every brunette girl's heart. <laughs> True. <laughs> Every brunette girl with wildly pale skin that just refuses <laughs> yes. to tan and lives yeah. in Australia's heart. <laughs> yes. Uh, he was running the shop pretty much like a 1930s version of Google. He had artists come in to teach the animators about different art forms, like they all learned, had to learn about expressionism, cubism, wow, etc. cool. Like they had actors and animals come in. They'd study their facial expressions and how they moved and how... Like live, literal animals yeah, coming in. And, and, okay. And, you know, they took heaps of time watching this woman with a dress that was sort of like Snow White's moving so that they could understand what it looked like wow. um, when fabric moves. They, they wanted it to be realism times one million sort of. That's really interesting. Yeah, they had really high, high goals yeah. with Snow White. I but think the way beautiful. in which they wanted to achieve those goals, like by actually kind of like just really breaking it down to the bare foundations breaking, of the movement of fabric or something. But it's, also was... I also really love how they were really interested in different art movements and that they wanted yeah. the animators to actually understand heaps about art. I think that's really amazing. I mean, for me, that that would be really sick. Like, that would be cool if you got a job and then part of the job was, like, actually to do your job correctly, we need you to understand all of these aspects and, like, certain details. Yeah, we know you're good at your job, but this is going to make you better. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. Into it. Um, There was also like a cafe and ping pong tables. A gym with an Olympian who, like an ex-Olympian who was training people. This is is like the Facebook office. There was a car repair repair place. They like, at at this point, they had like 600 stuff. And then Snow White opened in 1937 and it was a huge, huge hit. For good reason. Um, it had cost $1.5 million to make, which was like three times what it was budgeted for. In today's money, it's $17.5 billion. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I did think about looking that up, but I didn't. Um, that would have been a shit ton of money. But just like know that 1937... Was a really long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> nineteen thirty-seven, and you're like that's between wars. Mm. Are you gearing up for a new one? But like, I'm really old, and my mother had me when she was a little older, and she wasn't even born yet. Mm. So this was a really fucking long time ago. I'm really old. <laughs> <laughs> um. And also you should know that, like, it cost $1.5 million to make, which everyone thought was crazy, but they ended up making $6.5 million on it, like, wow. f- quite quickly. So it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then came Pinocchio and Fantasia, both of which uh, unfortunately ended up being quite big financial losses. Really? Uh, partly because of World War Two. <laughs> Uh, and partly because they were using this really swanky sound system thing that not many theatres had. So, and they needed that to show the film. Right. Okay. So, 
Not many places could show it. Yeah, so they couldn't actually screen the film. Yeah, and you can't make some place in the middle of a war (laughs) purchase something. Excuse me, independent cinema, I'm going to need you to get this. Mm. Minute dying. Um, But, you know, they were still doing really great. Um, Bambi came out then. Um, Everybody cried. My God, that fucking movie. Uh, Tough way to teach kids about mortality. You know, the mother... In the first bit of the fucking movie, really? I, I I feel like I've still got like a real fucking thing about that. Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen Bambi. But I will tell you a fun fact about it later. But I don't think I've actually seen it. I think that's why I'm so obsessed with like mortality. It was really, it really scared the fucking shit out of me. Wow. Anyway, uh, Walt uh, made live action movies. He made uh, a nature documentary about seals in Alaska. Um, and Seal Island actually won an Oscar. Oh. And then they made a whole lot more documentaries. They're cheaper to make. Seals didn't join unions and strike. <laughs> uh, more about that later. In 1949, Cinderella came out and everybody loved it. Uh, It made a ton of money again. It was sort of a big deal. But Walt was just not really interested in movies anymore. He'd become obsessed with model trains. Wow. Yep, he was that model train man. Richard Nissen, daddy, is that you? My daddy. (laughs) Yeah, both of our daddies. (laughs) They love our actual fathers. <laughs> our actual uh, birth fathers. Yeah, we're both trainers, train guys. <laughs> we we don't get it, but you know, we... I'd like to see that shit set up. Look, uh, Walt bought this new house, or I think he uh, he bought the land. They built the house, um, and then he designed a whole train track thing that went over the five acres of land that the house was on. It's huge. And it was like 800 metres of track and it wasn't tiny, like it wasn't like O-scale little thing that you would have in your garage. Yeah. It was like big. You could ride it. Yes. Um, and people started coming over just to see it. I would. Um, he made friends with Salvador Dali mm. and there are pictures of Salvador Dali Riding the train. This is so good. It's so good. Um, I think we talked maybe for a second even about um, in the Salvador Dali episode about how they were going to make a movie together, but that's part of the Dali episode, not about this, so listen to the Dali episode. If anyone's interested, it's actually season three, episode three, (laughs) so uh, you can have a look at that one. Salvador um, and Pablo. <laughs> uh, in 1952, his wife was like, something is afoot. I'm going to crack um, a cider. Do All it. Right. Do it, do it, do it. Mm, what a sound. Mm-hmm. Um, Walt sold their Palm Springs holiday house and then just like started getting rid of heaps of assets. Oof. Like boom, boom, boom. Trying to Uncomfortable. Like, he wants cash, money. Um, he then started a new company called WED, which was just for Walter Elias Disney. Yeah. Um, And he wanted to make a big fancy place 
where families could go and have a good time. Oh, I'm excited. And he had this idea that he was going to build it on this vacant lot in the studio. Um, And he called it Mickey Mouse Village. Okay. But then his ideas got, like, a bit more out of control. (laughs) (laughs) And it got bigger and bigger. And he realised he needed more land. Enter Disneyland. Yes! Uh, Kind of like those early Alice's Wonderland animations, he really wanted to put real people in a make-believe world. Um, At the time, amusement parks were kind of gross and dirty for fancy people like him. Like Mm -hmm. they were kind of, um, they were fun, but they were still a bit dodgy, like carnival kind of vibe. You know what I'm saying? Small hands. Yes. Uh, And he wanted it to be like magical, amazing, everything's clean and perfect and, again, the word Magical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was going to be really expensive. And in order to have the money, he signed this deal with the TV station in the US, ABC, to make a weekly TV show. And in return, basically, they would fund Disneyland. Okay. Uh, the he's TV got a plan. Yeah, he's got this great plan. And, and the TV shows were mostly made to promote the theme park that would eventually be made. Um, and the Smart. most successful of these was Davy Crockett, which um, when I Googled an, an early episode, the name of it was called Davy Crockett Indian Fighter. And I don't know, I've not seen that because it was just the beginning. I don't know if it means he's Indian and a fighter or he fights Indians. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it was to promote Frontierland and it was like super, super duper popular. Every little boy uh, in the early 1950s wanted to be Davy Crockett, but mm-hmm. probably maybe not among the little Indigenous American boys. I don't know. Maybe that's not right, but he looks white as shit, so okay. uh, who knows. He was a bit of a rebel, but anyway, the park opened on July 17th, 1955. Ten days after my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) It cost $17 million, which in true Walt Disney style was three times the estimate. Holy shit. Um, But also, as you all probs know, it was a massive success and continues to be, so who cares how Mm. much it costs to make? Um, and even though he had all these obligations to ABC to make the TV shows, um, the studio still managed to churn out a bunch of excellent films mm-hmm. um, in that time. They made Lady and the Tramp, uh, Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. 101 Dalmatians, and my personal fave, The Sword in the Stone. Oh. If you don't know it, you're wrong. Oh. <laughs> Shut the door. Shut the door. (laughs) Um, Mary Poppins um, was also a massive success, uh, but apparently the author of the book really hated it and regretted selling the rights to Walt. But who cares what he thinks? It was a really good movie and it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. I fucking love Julie Andrews. She is incred. I know. What a fucking angel. (laughs) 
1965, Walt announced that he would be starting work on Disney World in Florida. It was going to be bigger and better than the land, obviously, as Mm -hmm. it was the world. The world. Uh, The heart of Disney World was to be the, quote, experimental prototype community of tomorrow or Epcot. Yes. Uh, which Walt described as, quote, an experimental prototype community of tomorrow that will take its cue from the new ideas and new technologies that are now emerging from the creative centres of the American industry. It will be a community of tomorrow that will never be completed but will always be introducing and testing and demonstrating new materials and systems. And Epicot will always be a showcase to the world for the ingenuity and imagination of American free enterprise. Great. That was all a direct quote. It was quite long. <laughs> Sorry. But I had to show you like American how, free enterprise. He was very serious about that. Um, <laughs> he was really, really into the Epcot situation. Um, and I'm not sure if I get it. Like maybe I kind of get it, but uh, unfortunately – Walt was diagnosed with lung cancer. Oh. Uh, and he was a super heavy smoker. Like like if you look up any interviews or articles about him, he was always smoking a cig. Yeah. The doctors treated it with cobalt therapy, which was an early form of radiation. Uh, but on the 30th of November, which is DJ Morgs's birthday... Shout out DJ Morgs. Uh, That's your second one this episode, babe. <laughs> birthdays. Um, in 1966, though, uh, he, what was feeling unwell and he went to hospital and unfortunately he died and he was only 65. Wow. Yeah. Uh, he was involved in the production of 81 films. Jesus. And after his death, his brother Roy took over and finished Disney World, although he scrapped Epcot, whatever that was. Uh, it became like Future World or something. Really? But it, but it wasn't what he wanted it to be. It but was. Did it they was, bring it back though? Uh, no, it was there, but it, it wasn't. The way that Walt wanted it was that people would actually live there under sort of experimental prototypes, but that's ridiculous. So his vision was... His vision was scrapped, but there was still... Oh, that's right. It's called Tomorrowland, um, which is sti- which is probably still there, but um, I don't know. No, it's just I, I was going to mention... So I'll mention it okay. in a bit. But. Um, and then the company of Disney didn't really make any more animations until the late 80s. When Disney had their renaissance, uh, starting with my fave, The Little Mermaid. Classic. Anyway, Cara. That is dark. (laughs) Cara, what do you love about Disney? Hans Christian Andersen, just by the way, is is a dark, dark demon. (laughs) It absolutely is. I will never stop crying about The Little Match Girl. Oh, my God. That story is so fucked. I remember kind of my mother read me a story of that from a book and I looked at her and was like, and she died? The little girl died? Just like frozen? 
leaning up again. Like, Why did you tell me this story? Honestly, I mean, you monster. I will admit that I am Danish, <laughs> and he was a great writer. But that was anyway. We're not talking about Hank Christian. No, we're talking about fucking Walt Disney. So okay, so obviously, like most people born when I was, it was an absolute integral and influential part of my life, like Disney. Not even born when you were. No, no. But definitely, like, I feel, because I was the Renaissance period. That's true. And then the early Pixar period, kind of like with those ones. Overlap. You're right, right. I'm sorry. But it was a big I'm not limiting it to me. I'm just saying it was a... Very influential as a child. Like I used to watch those movies all the time. I had them on VHS. Rammed down your throat. Absolutely. I, I don't know if anyone, ha- I, we don't have children. No. Um, don't care Not to. that we know of. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like if you have a child these days, there's no fucking way you can get away with not watching Disney films. I wonder. I mean, there's got to be a lot of new content out there. But people must still. No, but it's still like Disney, 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 Disney. Like we mentioned, I loved Snow White. Ah, what a babe. Because, you know, (laughs) I saw her and it was me. Oh, wow. That that was the first one they made. And my goodness, it 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 looked like white girls. It was. (laughs) Just, yeah, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I couldn't be <laughs> oh, that. No. <laughs> I mean, like, it was just like I, um, I've i dressed up as her on many occasions. Like when I was very little, I went to Isabella's birthday party in St. Ives and dressed as Snow White. And then much later on when I did a DJ set at World Bar, I dressed as a dominatrix Snow White. So it was quite a transition for that me. That is gross. Thank you. Um <laughs> I love Cinderella. I just really loved it. She's the hot white blonde. Exactly. <laughs> We've got a lot of whiteness happening here. Um, Fantasia was creepy, yeah. but I loved it. It was a good time. Okay, so obviously everything we had was like taped off, te- taped off television or was like, you know, we had like VHSs that we bought. But like um, on one videotape, the first part that was taped off TV was Alice in Wonderland. The Mm. second was The Wizard of Oz, which scared the shit out of me. So I was watching Alice in Wonderland at home. I was very young, which says a lot, because (laughs) I was watching it, I fell asleep, and then Michelle and Mum left. They went on an errand or something and left me alone in the house. Oh, the 80s. (laughs) I know. Hashtag the 80s. And then... um. I woke up and I didn't know how to stop the video and and the Wizard of Oz had come on and I was like and she was like I'm melting oh, I'm and no. I was just like so frightened and when Michelle and Mum returned I was beside myself just in a state of utter anxiety and oh, like yeah. fear I get it um, it uh, happened to me too but all the lights were out and oh, they were God. at a like a neighbor's house getting drunk thanks Mum. <laughs> I was on a disgusting, like, velvet green couch. <laughs> Fuck, that couch is so gross. Um, when the day that I was born, bless it, um, my absolute <laughs> the saint. The blessed day. The blessed day. 
Um, my saint of a grandmother was going to take Michelle to see Bambi, but then I was born, so she didn't get to go see it. So it's like a running joke because thank God she, she didn't. Yeah, she was just <laughs> she's seen it though, but she was just like you bitch, you ruined this again. <laughs> I was meant to go see a film. We were going to get popcorn. Um, I love Mary Poppins. I said Julie Andrews. I love that movie. I love the idea of an endless bottomless bag because I feel like many of us actually have those. <laughs> also, like the boy in that died, like the young the child. Boy, yeah. He died really young. He had like a tragic story. Oh, I no. can't remember it. Also, at the end of, I sorry, had the Toy Story video and at the end there was like a documentary about Disney World and mm-hmm. I was like, I want to go there. And it was like determined that I was going to see it. I still haven't been. Um, but you you didn't go to Disneyland or Disney World when you went to? America, all the times I've been to oh. America. No, I haven't. But I can tell you that my parents have both independently been to the Disneyland <laughs> in LA without their children, which is so bananas. It <laughs> is not okay. But my dad, I think, Fishing. I think I was talking about this before, but he bought us back little Mickey ears, but embroidered is Kara oh, on it. Wow, and I never crazy. found anything with my name on it, like as a child. Um, the Lion King, obsessed with that. Yeah. One time my parents bought me the soundtrack for like Christmas. Great soundtrack. <laughs> um, it is. And then so I played it. But then I I played the full length of it and did a choreographed dance to it. Oh, God. And I thought they were enjoying it and I thought they were crying, but they were actually just laughing at me the whole time to the point of tears. <laughs> Look, that's, I feel like that's a reason to not have children. Is why you should, but also why you should, like, why you should and why you shouldn't. Like, funny, but not also only that, incredibly boring. At the end? I had drawn um, dolphins on pieces of paper so that I could autograph them for my parents. Dolphins? (laughs) Yeah, dolphins were a big thing in the 90s. They sure were. So I drew the dolphin and then I would sign. It was my, my, it was probably like instead of a headshot. I like it. Um, And when Lulu and I went on our big gap year, we went to Paris and we were there on Christmas Day and we went to Disneyland there. Oh, you did go to a Disneyland. Yeah, but the Paris one's quite different. But I was like, this is the happiest place on earth. (laughs) It's so clean. Um, Just like Walt wanted it. Yeah, and it was. And it was so much fun. And actually, I think I've told this story before on this podcast, but basically we went on a roller coaster and we both put our fingers up how do you describe this? Across my mouth is like um, what a I'm describing. Cunning linguist. Cunnilingus. Cunning linguist? The cunnilingus symbol, like. The international symbol for symbol. eating out a lady. Um, and then they took a photo, but they wouldn't sell it to us. <gasps> and they said it wasn't Disney. <sighs> they refused to sell us a photo of us doing a sexually explicit you know I think that's great. movement. Anyway, yeah, so, but that was a really fun time. Honestly, that was a great Christmas. We went there because we were worried that we would miss our families or whatever, and we ended up having the best time. And we met two, like, Australian boys, and it was a great, fun thing. Shout out to those boys. No. (laughs) Don't (laughs) shout them out. (laughs) I think that's it. Like, it's just very uh, nostalgic. Sure. I mean, everybody loves Disney. Everyone does. I am the real Snow White. Actually, I am. 
I'm white with dark hair. So, all right. Let's get down and dirty. Let's do it. Let's get down um, to business. Okay, unfortunately, some of the rumours that you might have heard about Walt are not true. Mm. Uh, he was not cryogenically frozen. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. <laughs> Rumours about this began shortly after his death, though the origin story is unknown. Uh, the first time <laughs> the rumour was in print was in 1969 in a French newspaper. Naughty you. Uh, and in that article, a Disney exec was quoted pointing to some disgruntled animators as being the creators of the rumour. And that was like the first time it was in like a legit mm-hmm. paper. Um But, you know, you can hardly blame people for thinking it. It's been said that the announcement of his death was delayed. Okay. um, And that the funeral and burial site is unknown. Mm Mm-hmm. But actually there are signed documents that show that he was cremated and that the family had paid $40,000 for a marked plot at Forest Lawn I don't know what that is. I guess no, I it's like a... I thought it was meant to. I was a little worried. It's a dead gag place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that information is public record, so shut up, conspiracy heads. Okay. Uh, why would he keep it a secret? Like in his daughter Diane's biography, she says that she doubts he had ever even heard of cryogenics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So and oh, you know, I'm so glad you cleared this up because look, it's I was disappointing. Curious. But don't worry, I still have plenty of bad shit to tell you about. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from being responsible for the overly sentimental, feel good rewrite of American history, apart from exploiting my daddy issues, <laughs> he didn't really do anything. <laughs> he was a bit of an Andy Warhol. Like I'm not saying he's undeserving of any recognition. Uh, He created it. He was the businessman. I'm sure he was the ideas man. But he wasn't a good artist. Um, In fact, he was fired from one of his early newspaper cartoon jobs for not being creative enough. They were just like, bleh. Um, And also he was kind of racist. Uh, But more on that in a bit. First. All right. I'm going to talk about Walt's one true hate Unions. Oh. hmm People are so sensitive about unions. Oh, shit, they are. And you know why? Because they have a reason to mm-hmm. be. <laughs> they sure fucking do. This is a great, actually, this is a great story about why unions are incredibly necessary. Mm. Uh, so Walt has started Disney as a family business He wanted everyone to call him Walt, not Mr. Disney. And, you know, he thought that if you treat people well, that they would work hard and be loyal. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that is partly very true. Yeah. But Walt didn't understand was that you also have to pay them a wage that they can live on. Yeah. The all-male animators were paid great. They had their own offices and they had, like, these incredibly fancy chairs. Oh. <laughs> it was like a thing okay. in this documentary. <laughs> the chairs. <laughs> um, but the cell painters, who were pretty much all women, were paid terribly, as were the set workers, 
and anyone else who wasn't a writer or an animator or an artist. Um, After the success of Snow White, Walt built a new, bigger studio in Burbank. And at the new studio, there was this very rigid hierarchy. So those animators and writers were at the top of the food chain. And apart from their offices and fancy chairs... Super fancy chairs. um, They had access to, to like, a restaurant and a steam room and a gym. Ooh. Um, And, you know, I talked earlier about how everyone had all this stuff. Yeah. At the new place, it wasn't like that. Um, Other workers were segregated into their departments and they were massively micromanaged and hugely overworked. Um, And these workers were forced to sign documents that said that they worked for 40 hours a week when they actually worked much, much more. And all this for $12 a week, while some of the animators were on $300 a week, which is a massive gap. Yeah. Shout out pay gap. Why don't you go fuck yourself? (laughs) Also, the finances of Disney were public. Um, I can't remember why. There was a reason, but they made... They were a public company. Yeah. Um, so their finances were made public. So everyone who worked there knew how much money Walt was making, uh, which was a lot. And the lower level employees were fucking pissed off. So some of the cell painters were like so poor that they were fainting from malnutrition. Oh my God. Like it was really bad. So as these things go, there was talk. Of unions. Mm-hmm. And Walt was very much, as most rich white men are who own companies, uh, he was very much against unions. <laughs> I believe he banned them, which is not the way unions work, No. <laughs> uh, he was shocked that it was happening. Like, he was like, like he just didn't realise. I let he- you guys call me Walt. That is exactly what I was just about to say. Oh, like, I say. But, but, like, that's what it was like. He, he was like, me and my boys, uh, you know, my animators were on this together. I'm, I'm kind and I'm a cool working class dude. I'm a cool boss, not a regular boss. Exactly. They you call guys me need a condom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's like, everyone's pissed off. What should I do? So then he calls all the employees together in this theatre on the lot um, and he gives this dumb speech about how if you want more money, you better work harder. All this capitalist bullshit. He was so delusional when he walked off the stage that he thought, like, I killed it. (laughs) They get it. Uh, Can I just say Amber's facial expression when she said, I killed it, was, like, (laughs) so good. (laughs) Uh, But actually, everybody left furious Um, A newspaper reported that that speech alone had recruited more members to the Screen Actors Guild than a year of campaigning had. (laughs) Honestly, I I feel like sometimes people who are in those positions of power are sociopaths and they have... Oh, always. But some of the things they say when they, like... They don't understand the way in which it's received because they're so far away from any sense of reality. Of course. Of what those people are experiencing. no idea. That it just backfires and it happens all the fucking time. It's wild. 
So one of the animators, artists, was a guy called Art Babbitt, and Babbitt created Pluto and Goofy, actually, Mm -hmm. Um, and he was probably the highest-paid animator. And Walt did not like him because he wasn't a big old suck-up like everybody else. Oh, maybe it was because he was Jewish, but that's just my speculation. We'll talk about that later. I feel like I know that one. (laughs) Uh, Babbitt was also a member of the Screen Actors Guild and he was actively organising. Like, he was busy. Yeah. Walt threatened him. If you don't stop, you're fired. He didn't stop. So Walt fired him. Fuck yeah, right. Citing union activities. And just remember that next time you think, we don't need unions. We need unions. You used to be able to fucking fire people if they joined a union. Yeah. Fuck that. Art Baba is a fucking hero. Uh, the workers decided to take a stand after that. And mm-hmm. the next day when Walt arrived at work, 200 workers were picketing outside. Oof. It was a strike. Um it wasn't just the low-wage workers either. Um, the fancy man animators were there too. Walt drove through on his way to work and Art Babbitt heckled him using like a... Yeah. You know what I'm... A bullhorn or whatever yeah. the fuck you call Those it. Those guys. Um, so Walt stopped the car got out, and they had this confrontation in front of all those people, which culminated in Walt punching Art in the face. Jesus. (laughs) Pretty fucked up. Like, he had an incredible income, but his heart was with his co-workers, you know? Like, it's just so fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, But among all this stuff, there was um, more strikes across Hollywood, like in all the studios. Studio bosses, including Walt, created the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals. And that just sounds like some fucking Nazi boys club to me. Some bad shit. Bad, bad, bad shit. Like, you know when you go to vote and if you do it the long way, there's always like some really weirdly named political party like the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals. Yeah. Anyway. Um, they red flag. <laughs> yeah, it's a red flag. <laughs> they wanted to protect the movie industry from, quote, communists, radicals and crackpots. Yeah. But probably what they actually wanted was to control everything and pay their workers fuck all. Yeah. Uh, I'd say so. With all the action, um, the shares in the Disney company dropped and people were getting angrier and angrier. Walt also just got angrier and he just refused to negotiate. He refused to apologise to Art Babbitt, who had since, like, gotten a great job with another studio and went on to have an excellent career. So he didn't want to stick around for more no. physical abuse? <laughs> he was no? done. Um, but, you know, nothing was happening um, in this industrial action. So Walt eventually was sent on a holiday to South America. And while he was gone, his brother Roy resolved the strike by pretty much giving the workers what they wanted. Roy. Roy is... Thank you, Roy. Thank God for Roy. He's, He's just like... 
Lying low, he's low on the radar, you know, and he he's just low gets on the shit radar. done. It gets shit done and he takes some shits and he gets those done. But also he's just <laughs> like, you know, I don't need my name on it. I don't need my name it's on it. It's fine. I'll just figure out, I'll, I'll find a resolution. What I'm going to do is what needs to get done without my it. goddamn ego. You just go have a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, strikes still continued in one form of another, you know, for years. Uh, Walt was increasingly paranoid about communists infiltrating his company. Absolutely. Um, and even in October in 1947, he went to Washington to um, talk to Congress. About, Going all the way to the top. He went all the way to the top to, to talk about reds in the movies and whether that was what was behind all these labour strikes that were happening. I think it's just because people want to be paid for what they're worth and, like, so they can actually survive. No, no, no. Walt, <laughs> no, they're commies. Listen, Walt and some other studio heads went and, you know, the first thing that Walt said was he was running a tidy ship. There was no communist stains in his studio. Uh, he then just started like rattling off names of all these people who he thought were communists, but they were just union leaders. Uh-oh. He had zero proof that these people were communists. <laughs> and you know, at the time, communist meant working for Russia or whatever. Absolutely. Like, like that's really damaging in that kind of climate. Mm-hmm. Um, the studios. I mean, who cares if you're a communist, but, like, at the yeah. time, damaging. Well, obviously, you know, Congress were like, uh, we're real lawyers and you have no proof. <laughs> 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 um, but the studios then basically made this decision that they would refuse to hire any communists and, of course, by that they meant union activists or basically any union members. Okay. Um, I believe things have changed. It took a very long time. I bet. Uh, Fun story, huh? Isn't that wild? Uh, Anyway, so now onto the topic we've all been waiting for, racism at Mm. Disney, okay? Oh, she present. (laughs) He present, sorry. So when Disney Plus was launched in 2019... Oh, there was a film missing from the Disney catalogue. That film is called The Song of the South, which was made in 1946. Bob Iger, who was the CEO at the time, said when asked about Song of the South appearing on Disney+, Plus, he said it was, quote, not appropriate in today's world and won't be released. Okay. Other films like Dumbo and Peter Pan, um, who contain racist depictions, yep. they come with a tag that reads, this program is presented as originally created. It may contain outdated cultural depictions. Which I feel like, you know, that's good. Yeah. Um, it probably should also have something Maybe you should like, say this it, is offensive. It, it contains, it, not it may. It contains. Yeah, it definitely does contain. You know what I mean? Like, why, why chuck the main outdated in cultural descriptions? Yeah. I don't know why they are so fucked. I do know. Why am I asking? 
Um, so the Song of the South was based on these Uncle Ramus stories that were written in 1881. So, like, a long fucking time ago, it's, like, the South of America, just after the Civil War, Red Dead Redemption 2, <laughs> the oh, abolition of slavery. Red Dead Redemption 2 is the new <laughs> Twin Peaks. <laughs> it's about this white kid who uh, goes to stay at his grandmother's plantation and how he makes friends with this ex-slave now worker named Uncle Ramus and he teaches him about, I don't know, life or whatever. Okay. Um Walt wanted it to be a live action with animation, kind of like um, how Mary Poppins ended up. Okay. You know? So it comes out in 1946 right after the Second World War um, and they do the premiere in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. Although civil rights weren't really a huge thing, like, to white people that then, like it wasn't in the news, mm-hmm. um, shit fucking kicked off. And Disney had never done any social commentary in their films ever. It's not their vibe. They were just like, la, 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 everything's fine, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay. That, <laughs> actually, that song, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay, is from the Song of the South. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, And that song won an Academy Award. Mm. And you got to know that the reason this film is racist is not for what it does show necessarily, but for what it leaves out. So the books, as I said, were set after the Civil War when the characters were free. Uh, But in the film, there's literally zero discussion of when it's set or, like, the status of the African-Americans in the film, um, you would have to know about some obscure stories from 1881 to know Mm. the time period. So it's very easy to assume that Uncle Ramus and Auntie Tempe and all their maids are slaves. As far as you see them in the film, they're totally fine with that. Yeah, right. In fact, they're joyful. They sing about it. Day and night, how happy they are. zippity doo what a wonderful day. Now, obviously in 1946, no one expected Disney to put out a children's film exploring race and slavery and politics and American ideology. Yeah, of course. But the way that the whole film is wiped clean of any and all speck of it is fucking, like, it's pretty wild. Mm. And, like, if you have nothing to say on the topic then why the fuck did you make this film? Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, maybe he had good intentions, like he wanted to show black and white people living harmoniously, but, like, each in their place, it seems very clear to me. Yeah. And, you know, it just it did not work out. Uh, it's important to note that this film was considered racist even in 1946. Wow. I didn't even think they knew the concept. Yeah, look, in 1946, Indigenous Australians couldn't vote. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen until 1967, which is a fucking disgrace. Absolutely. the USA, Isaac Woodward, a African-American army veteran, was beaten and blinded by police chief 
Linden Shell in Carolina, and this was only known to the white population because an outraged Orson Welles spoke about it on his radio show. Mm. This was also the year of a Georgia lynching in which two African-American couples were murdered by a mob of white men. Mm. Like, and this is the state that the film was premiered at. The year and the state. Yeah. Like, the film was racist, you know. It, it, was, it basically made plantation life look like a joyously wholesome, fun time. It's and maybe you could say, well, Walt was just ignorant and he didn't know that portraying such a horrific, hurtful time in this way uh, would be so, so hurtful. But he fucking knew exactly what he was doing. When they were working on the script, Walt had taken advice from a whole bunch of black intellectuals on how to portray these black characters. Mm-hmm. Like he actively sought them out. Right. Asked for their opinion. Why don't you do the work? (laughs) And they said, well, we paid them, but uh, they said, whatever you do, don't make them happy dancing and singing. And when it came out, in Atlanta, Georgia, in a segregated theatre, like the man who played Uncle Ramus, the actor's name was James Baskanon, he couldn't even attend the premiere. Oh, my God. Um, also when he was nominated for an honorary Academy Award because black people couldn't actually win an Oscar, but, like, give him an on- honorary one. Was that then he, at the time? Yes. Oh. He, he couldn't attend the ceremony. Oh. So, like, you know, he, he didn't do anything, they said. Every black person in that film is singing and dancing about a beautiful day they're having. What is the point of fucking consulting with people? He's not a man of his time. Oh. You know, that's not a thing. He knew it was going to upset people. He fucking did it anyway. Like, he almost did it on purpose. Yeah, was it despite? Like, It's so fucked up. Uh, the New York Times said, quote, the master and slave relation is so lovingly regarded in your yarn that one might almost imagine that you figure Abe Lincoln made a mistake. Jesus. And that's mainstream journalism uh, yeah. in 1946. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, the white press was generally pretty keen on it. Um, Time magazine said, quote, top not Disney. No. Delightful. No. Um, but they did caution that it was, quote, bound to land in its maker in hot water because the character of Uncle Ramus was, quote, bound to enrage all educated Negroes and a number of damn Yankees. Wow. Okay. Uh, the NAACP called it a dangerously glorified picture of slavery and they called for a boycott. Oof. Good. I fucking like it. The African-American magazine that was widely uh, read, uh, they wrote that they were thoroughly disgusted by the film for being, quote, as vicious a piece of propaganda for white supremacy as Hollywood had ever produced. I agree. I also want to mention that one of the silly symphonies that was released in 1933 um, called The Three Little Pigs, Everybody knows that story. Know it. Um, Well, the original cartoon featured a scene with the wolf dressing up as a Jewish peddler. 
And, mate, the depiction is fucking hectic. So he, you know, he's got a Yiddish accent, this extremely phallic hook nose, a long black beard, an ankle left, an ankle length, sorry, caftan. No media gave a shit about it in 1933. But when it was re-released in 1948, as Andrew Silo Carroll put it in the Times of Israel, there were six million fewer Jews on the planet. Mm. So Disney changed the character to a general hoodlum, but they kept the Yiddish accent for some fucking reason. Oh. Uh, look, I believe it was eventually replaced too, but it's like you can't just cover this stuff up no. and say this might be weird. We're alluding to this. Yeah. Um, and that's all I'm going to speak about tonight. We are... This is a long and painful episode. Next week's going to be super long as well. Wait. Do you still like? No. Diz? I don't really. Dizzy Wizzy? Dizzy Wizzy can go suck my dicky wiki. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No. I mean, it's just like, because the thing is, What you told me is he's actually gone and tried to do the work. He's attempted to do the work and attempted to find out how and which to portray these characters or portray these stories. Yet he has chosen consciously not to go with the information that he has received, which is infuriating. Like in this day and age, I can imagine someone being like, well, I have to go and consult and then we talk and think about it. But, like, back then no one was making him. No. He, he went and found out if but, uh, it, but, black people would be offended and then he was like, great, I'm going to do exactly I'm gonna what do I want anyway. anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. Fucking ball bag. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, well, that's how I feel. But, like, uh, yeah, if you thought this was long, next week is going to be long as shit because oh, yeah. we are doing two uh, people who had long lives. I don't know about your one, whether he had such a long life. My one had a long Did life. Did he? Fantastic. Shockingly enough. And I haven't finished writing mine yet. No, neither have I. Two pretty, like, old man icons. Old man icons is it. We would appreciate if you listen and you didn't just want to hear about Brad Pitt and fucking Ben Affleck. (laughs) We're doing the work over here. Come and listen to us talk about old men. Old men. (laughs) Old men, look at my life. I'm a lot like you were. Don't get sued. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. What a fucking hectic episode. Yeah, I'm really sorry. (laughs) It was hectic. Um. Follow our Instagram, uh, like our Facebook page. Interact with us. Make us feel like we're not screaming into the void. We love to talk to you. And don't forget what we said at the top, like send us any stories you have of interactions with famous people that were positive or negative. We don't care. We want to hear them all. Did your grandmother meet Walt Disney? Did your grandmother bone Frankie Valley? Oh my god! I if hope anyone so. is out there, shit! <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Okay, love you guys. Love Bye. you. Bye.
We have used multiple sources in the research for this podcast. All of these can be found in the show notes. This podcast was written by Kara Nissen and Amber Jones, with music and engineering by Morgan Jones. JJ Morgs! <laughs> Sorry, Shimala! I like it.